0: Well it's my privilege to introduce evangelist Norman Moore from, from now Phoenix, Arizona, or the Arizona area, but uh, previously from San Diego and, and uh, Southern California. As a matter of fact, I think you were out there with Pastor Paul One uh, in 2014. and so it's good to have you. he's here in 2011. One of my favorite evangelists in the Church of the Nazarene. I, I know you'll enjoy uh, Norman as he shares with us just down-to-earth biblical sound teaching. And so uh, let's welcome him this morning.
1: Thank you, Pastor. What a blessing to be back together. Thank you for the opportunity to serve you again and open God's word. Got some great news for you. The Lord's here. You remember he promised to be where two or three are gathered together in his name And incidentally, he's not here to nag you about your imperfections. He's here to assist you in becoming more like Jesus. Between this second and when we exit the sanctuary this morning, every one of us have a fresh chance to connect with God. And inevitably, there'll be issues in our lives that need correction and improvement and just need to Remind all of us from the beginning. Scripture describes him as a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He's the one who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And your friend, the Lord Jesus Christ, is here among us today by his Holy Spirit to whisper to our hearts from his word and tutor us, to coach us, in ways where we can mature and grow and advance in our relationship with Him. Let's pray together. And in your own words and in your own way, would you invite Him to speak to your heart this morning? Thank you, Father, for this Sunday morning worship service, the privilege of being in your house and gathering with your people. Thank you for these songs of praise that have turned our attention toward you and your blessings, your awesome power. I thank you, Lord, for your empathetic concern for each of us. You know who we are and where we're coming from. You know the issues that we're facing right now that maybe only you know about. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would talk to us from the Scriptures and show us fresh insights that would enable us to move forward in our relationship with you and with each other. And may each of us be found obedient. Give us a willingness to cooperate with you. Help us beyond our delays and our denials our excuses and our procrastinations and say a quick yes to fresh light from your spirit and help me again by your spirit's anointing in jesus name amen you know for over three years my wife and i owned and drove a used car that had a broken cruise control You all know what a cruise control is That device on a car that's intended to hold it at a consistent speed. It's supposed to save on fuel and tickets. (laughs) I need help with both. We saw this car advertised in the classified section of the newspaper. It was for sale by owner, private party. But it was a recent model, low mileage, well equipped, and an excellent price. It seemed as though the fellow was in financial difficulty, and he wanted to sell it as quick as he could. We drove around a bit. It was in top shape. We liked it, so we bought it. I noticed at the end of the turn signal, there's a button to push for the cruise control. I just assumed the thing worked. Well, one day I was out on the freeway, and traffic was kind of light, and I was kind of tired. So I accelerated to an approximate 55 or 60, and I thought I'd cruise a while, push the button. Immediately. Just above the speedometer, a little green light turned on, said cruise. I relaxed to let the car drive itself. But all of a sudden that accelerator pedal, it disappeared from under my foot and it buried itself down in the carpet. And that fool thing took off out from under me like a duck with his tail on fire. It went from 55 to 60, 65 to 70, 75 to 80, and it stuck right on 82. I just hung on to see if it's gonna fly and I watched the rearview mirror for the highway patrol. Stayed on 82 for a half minute and got tired. It decelerated down to 70, 60, 50, finally stuck on 45, until evidently it regrouped its energy and enthusiasm and bam, off again it went all the way back up to 82. And then it got tired and went back down to 45. I don't know about you and your car, your SUV or your van or pickup, whatever, But that's not what I had in mind when I pushed that button. (laughs) I was hoping to cruise. Well, I put put up with that dumb thing for a while. and I kicked the brake and disengaged the cruise control. And I drove the old-fashioned way with my foot. And I told myself, i got to get that thing fixed. But when I had the time to get it fixed, didn't have the money. Did you ever have a deal like that? About every week, huh? But when I had the money to get it fixed didn't have any time, so I drove the thing broken, put over 105,000 miles on that old car, and today its current owner has an old car with a broken cruise control. There was one day I had a little time and a little money, I went into the garage I explained the problem to the mechanic, he said, I'll fix that real quick. He put up the hood, found some tools and played around for 10 or 20 minutes, slammed down the hood and said, there buddy, I got her fixed. First thing I did is jump up on a freeway, get up around 60, push a button, green light turned on. But you know what? It didn't change it a bit. The only difference, it didn't go clear to 82. It just went 65, 45, 65, 45. I finally put this thing clear out of my mind. And the rest of the time I owned and drove that car, I acted as though we didn't even have a cruise control. It had been broken so long, I became thoroughly accustomed to its malfunction. It would have surprised me if I ever pushed the button and thing worked properly because it had been broken so long. It was normal to be abnormal. And did you know the same thing can happen in our relationship with God? There can be issues in our relationship with Him and with each other, and we can ignore them and deny them and rationalize them so long it just seems normal to be abnormal. And the bottom line is we end up tolerating chronic needs that God never intended for us to experience. That's the way it was for this fellow that John wrote about in the Gospel of chapter 5. If you'd like to follow, we'll review from John's Gospel, 5th chapter, beginning at the first verse. This fellow had a major problem for a long time, and he'd pretty well given up on things being any different. But one day, Jesus passed by and gave him the option for a new beginning. And it has... Relevance and meaning for us here this morning. John 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. What do we have here? This is one of seven miracle stories that John includes in his gospel. And the setting, Jesus. And we assume all 12 disciples are headed for what's here called a religious feast of the Jews. We'd probably call it a major potluck dinner. And the direction of their walk, they took a shortcut across a huge stone patio that encircled a long rectangular pool. The remains are still there below street level in Jerusalem. I've been there. And as Jesus and the disciples take a shortcut across the patio next to the pool on the way to their potluck, one unnamed disciple in the passage points out to the Lord's attention a particular fellow with a major problem for a long time. He said, see that guy there? He's been in that shape for 38 years. Please imagine this. Jesus, and I guess all 12 disciples, are taking a shortcut across the patio next to the pool on the way to the potluck. And Jesus hears about a guy with a 38-year problem. Do you know what he did? He stopped. He called time out to the parade to the potluck. He pivoted, stepped towards that fella. I'm convinced he looked him right in the face. And I'm further convinced he must have smiled at him. Can't prove it except from my own relationship with the Lord. When you imagine Jesus on the mental screen of your mind, is he smiling at you this morning? How do you think the Lord's looking at you right now? Do you think he's smiling at you? Or do you imagine him with some rowdy scowl of disapproval because you're not absolutely perfect all the time? If you imagine him scowling at you, is there any chance you may have painted that countenance on him in your own imagination? Did you know some folks create God in the image of some mean, perfectionistic, critical authority figure in their vulnerable young yesterdays? Could have been mom or dad or grandma, or grandpa, or aunt, uncle, teacher, preacher, brother, sister. I don't know. But they were authority figures and they had influence and they were critical and mean and grouchy. Impossible to please. And then we hear about this fellow named God who's major authority figure. And some folks make that mistaken transference and say, oh, I know what he's all about. He's like that mean, critical grouch I could never please when I was a kid. I got some great news for you. That's not God. Jesus called time out to the procession of the potluck, looked the guy right in the face. I'm convinced he smiled. Empathetic, loving, care, concern, compassion, understanding, acceptance. He asked him a rather peculiar question. Total stranger. First time they'd ever met this first thing out of Jesus' mouth, He says, do you want to get well? What kind of question is that to ask a guy with a problem for 38 years? I mean, if I was chronically ill and hospitalized and the pastor stepped into my hospital room, stepped towards the bedside, first time we'd ever met, first thing out of his mouth, do you want to get well? You know how I'd respond to that. I think quite sarcastically I'd say, oh no, I love it here. The food is terrific, and those shots really turned me on. What kind of question is that to ask a guy with a problem for 38 years? I looked that up in those fat books that the smart boys write. You know what I found out? In the original language, the vocabulary, the verb tense, the sentence structure carries the meaning, are you serious about getting well? The loudest word in the question is want. The accent in that question is on want. Do y'all want to get well? Synonymous questions would be, how long are you going to put up with this in your life? Are you serious about a permanent change? Is it ever going to be any different than the way it's been? Well, that provocative confrontation was enough to push the play button on this boy's pre-recorded excuses. And he had a double-barrel excuse He said, well, first of all, I don't have anybody to throw me in the pool when the water is stirred. And every time I head over there myself, somebody always jumps in ahead of me. What's that deal all about? There was a tradition in Jesus' day, widely circulated among the Jews of the region. They believed that every once in a while, the angel of the Lord would visit that pool. And that tradition had also concluded the angel's presence was evident because the water would be stirred. And they had decided the first one in the pool when the water is stirred would get healed. And that idea was circulated throughout the area and that resulted with those with a variety of physical maladies daily gathering on the patio, hanging around the pool, waiting for the water to bubble. And Jesus and the disciples were taking a shortcut across the patio next to the pool on the way to potluck. Jesus hears about a guy with a 38-year problem. He says, You dead serious about a permanent change? He said, I don't got anybody to throw me in the pool. And every time I head over there myself, somebody always jumps in ahead of me. Jesus did not buy his excuses. How do I know? He didn't say one word about the Jewish tradition. About the angel of the Lord visiting the waters during the pool. First one, he got healed. If he'd have bought that a whole idea, don't you think he said something about it? Oh, man, I'm so sorry. I feel so bad. Well, we'll be glad to help you get in the pool. John, get him by the ankles. Peter, grab him by the shoulders. Drag this guy over the edge of the pool. First time the water bubbles, throw him in. He didn't say a word about it. You know Why? You don't need a Jewish tradition when the Lord Jesus Christ himself is standing right next to you. And the great news for every one of us here this morning is that this very same Jesus who passed by the patio next to the pool is passing by where you are right now. And just like he called time out to that parade, he pivots in your direction with a loving, caring, understanding, compassionate, caring smile. He confronts you with your chronic needs and he tolerates our rationalizations and excuses. Then he ordered this fellow to his feet. He says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, if you traditionally have assumed or understood that in polite, dignified, pastoral, Sunday morning demeanor, Jesus tilted his head and turned up his smile and gestured, shall we all stand? Forget about it. The language here describes an army officer barking out an order to a subordinate. Get up. Pick up your mat. Out of here. It's an order. Did you notice he said pick up your mat? He could have just said get up and walk. What's the deal about the mat? That was a woven straw cushion that they used to comfort themselves on that stone patio. And Jesus is saying, buddy, you just will take your mat with you. Because you're not going to be back here tomorrow. And the great news I have for us all this morning is Jesus not only wants to get us up from our old place of weakness. He doesn't want us to return to that place anymore. Again, just we'll take your mat with you. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. Well, at this point, this fellow had to make a decision. He had to choose, am I going to stay the way I am? Or am I going to take advantage of a brand new beginning? He could have said, no, thanks. I'm good. I got high seniority here on the patio, 38 years. This is my reserve spot by the palm tree. He had to choose. And his choice was I can stay the way I am, or I can take advantage of a brand new beginning. He concluded if it's ever going to change, it's got to happen sometime in some place. No better time than now, and no better place than here. Let's go for it. And he made the effort to get up. The Bible says immediately he was cured. Sometimes our victories are instantaneous. But sometimes they're slow, gradual process. So what? The real issue is are we obedient to the Lord's command? Get up, pick up your mat and walk. Well, that's not the end of the story. He got up, picked up his mat and walked. But it wasn't long until he bumped into some religious critics that had the rule book all memorized. And they immediately jumped on him like ugly on an ape, got right in his face and hassled him, said, hey man, this is the Sabbath and the law forbids you to carry your mat. You ever known any kind of critical, legalistic controller that thought it was their self-appointed responsibility to monitor your behavior and tell you how to live? they still got some of those around. I got a lot of help out of how this fella handled his critics. He didn't fight, he didn't argue, he wasn't intimidated, he didn't apologize, he didn't turn around and burn rubber in retreat, he just testified to them. He said, boys, I don't know about you, and I sure enough don't know about your fat rule book, but what I do know is I was down big time for a long time, and now I'm up and going, I'm out of here, y'all have a nice day. Reminds me of one day, I was on a country road, and I came up against railroad tracks, and about the time I approached that train crossing, the bell started to ring, and the light started to flash, and that black and white striped arm moved to a horizontal position and blocked the road, and sat there and just kind of bounced a little bit. I was the first one up against the track and sat there waiting for the train, and after a minute, here came the train, slowly chugging by. I noticed the engineer leaning out his window with his hand on the throttle, wearing a funny hat. About that time, here came a little Chihuahua dog barking at that train. That little dog barked and barked and barked and barked and barked and barked. I sat there and watched that whole deal. Finally, the train passed, the bar went up, the bell quit ringing, the light quit flashing. I drove on down the road. And a wonderful insight hit my head and bounced down into my heart. I thought, now what influence did that Chihuahua dog think he was going to have on that train? In my own experience, when I've been on the right track, going the right direction, heading in God's will for my life, occasionally there's been a little Chihuahua dog come barking. And you know the lesson i learned there don't let any dog stop your train if you know god's will for your life and you're on the right track and heading the right direction just like this fella the one who made me well said to me get up and walk you don't need to be intimidated by some critical controller who's trying to intimidate and dictate how you're supposed to live or do or be Take your signals from God. That taught me to listen to one voice. Whose voice? Jesus' voice. You can't take your cue from every well-intended religious advisor. It'll drive you crazy. You can't keep everybody happy all the time. We need to get over our approval addiction and just take our cue from the Lord. Well, he bounced off his critics, and guess where he landed? Right in the temple. I think it's wonderful. The first place this fellow went after Jesus put him on his feet was to God's house, where he could worship the Father and be instructed in the Scriptures. Jesus showed up at the temple. No coincidence. I think the Lord went looking for him. And again, Lord took initiative and opened the conversation. Open arms, broad smile, enthusiastic greeting, beaming countenance you notice his greeting? He said, see, you are well again. He said it with enthusiasm and reinforcement. And the tone of that greeting is, man, would you look at you. You're on your feet. You're going and growing. I knew that you could make it. Then he tossed him a warning. He said, by the way, stop sinning. Or something worse may happen to you. Do you notice the term he selected? What was it? Stop sinning. What did he say? Stop. Did you notice he didn't say, would you try and cut down a little bit? Did you notice he didn't propose a six-month phase-out program of that particular sinner habit? He said, knock it off. Straighten up. Behave yourself. Why? Why? The Bible teaches, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. You can't sin and get away with it. He told the fellow, it's in your best interest to straighten up and behave yourself because you're going to reap what you sow. And perhaps one of the best favors I could do for somebody here this morning is to politely and cordially, respectfully offer you the same timely biblical warning. Stop sinning. Or something worse could happen to you. You're going to reap what you sow. Well, the bottom line of the story is the fellow left the temple. He went out and he found those critical Jews who were barking at him about breaking the rules on the Sabbath day. And he testified to them and told them it was Jesus who made him well. well. Let's rewind this and play it back. See if it makes any sense. Here we are in church on Sunday morning. And Jesus is passing by where you are just like he did that sunny afternoon by the pool. And he notices you in your chronic need. And because he loves you and cares about you and wants to help you, not hassle you, he calls time out to everything else going on. And he steps in your direction with an empathetic, understanding smile. He confronts you with your issues. Are you serious about a permanent change? Haven't you been in that shape just about long enough? Is it ever going to be any different than the way it's been? He tolerates our excuses, but finally he orders us to our feet. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. He didn't reach down and grab him and force him to his feet. He left the decision up to the individual. The illustration there teaches us that Jesus is a gentleman. He respects our personal freedom of choice. He doesn't coerce us against our will. He left the decision up to this fellow. And I hope here this morning, just like that afternoon, we'll decide if it's ever going to change. Got to happen sometime, someplace. No better time than now, no better place than here. Let's go for it. Not only will the Lord give you the power and the strength to get up from your old place of weakness, He'll give you enough strength and fortitude to bounce off those controllers who try and intimidate you. Then He motivates you in His house where you worship the Father and are instructed in His Word. And He doesn't leave you alone there. He shows up to encourage and reinforce your positive decision and warn you, stop sinning. But he doesn't leave you in the church like a a museum piece to be observed and complimented, insured and dusted. He eventually motivates you outside the walls of the church and connects you with a world that's hurting for certain. Folks who don't even have a clue who Jesus is. He gives you the context and the opportunity to put in a positive witness to them for what the Lord did for you. The truth is you can handle your needs this morning like I did to cruise control on that old car and never get it fixed. It's where it's normal to be abnormal. Or you can handle your need like this fellow did and say, hey, if it's ever going to change, got to happen sometime and place. No better time than now. No better place than here. We're going to share an invitation song. And I'd like to offer you the opportunity to spend some time in prayer here at the altar. And if kneeling's not possible or comfortable for you physically, you sure be welcome to just be seated on the front row chairs. But by your forward coming, you're saying, the Lord has spoken to your heart, you're aware of a need, it's time to pray, and you and the Lord need to connect. Please stand and bow your heads. And before we share that invitation song, Would you take a quiet moment, look down into your heart, become aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit and the Lord's indescribable love and compassion for you? Could you please be reminded that he's not some critical grouch who's impossible to please? But he loves you and he cares about you. He's got a bright future in mind for you, but he won't force you into any conformity or compliance. Well, share the verses of a well loved invitation song. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I'm waiting yielded and still. It's your call, but it's really in your best interest to mind the Lord while your heart's tender and the Holy Spirit's
0: been speaking to you. So while we sing,
1: you may come forward.
0: Father, we're thankful for the word that we heard this morning. May may we never accept abnormal as normal. May we never accept less than what you have in mind for us. Lord, I'm checked as I as I pray this because, Lord, I, I think that's often the condition we do accept. And, Lord, I pray that your spirit will continue to be at work in the midst of this body, even as they digest uh, this this tremendous message that our evangelist has given us this morning. And I pray, Lord, that as your spirit moves, there'll be obedience in the life of of our people to be willing to talk about the places where abnormal is being accepted as normal. Lord we love and we value the altar. We we believe that's an important thing and an important part of of our tradition as nazarenes as our tradition is of evangelical church. This place to to meet with you in in a moment of crisis and And, Lord, all of us have moments that we can remember at altars. But, Lord, there's also opportunity for discussion and conversation. So, Lord, what I'm praying for now is that um, this message will stay with us. As your spirit guides, may we find people to talk about the realities of life, where our life doesn't match up with our beliefs or our testimony. And, Lord, may we be willing to admit those places that we're lying on a mat next to a pool and you're calling us to walk. May may we find someone that we can pray with, that we can talk about these things, that we can look at your word together. and, And, Lord, that we can find your life, that we can live in a way that you want us to live, not in the abnormal normal. Be with us, Lord. Touch us in our Sunday school classes as we come back for a second service. May your spirit continue to move. Be with our evangelist, Lord, as he he speaks this week. And, Lord, be with us. And may we be true hearers of your word. As we hear, may we be doers. Now, Lord, I give you praise. I give you thanks. You're good. You're kind. You're gracious, you're forgiving, you're patient with us. Help us, Lord, not to abuse that patience, but to embrace this loving God who, who loved us so much that he gave his one and only son so that we might have life. Now, Lord, this day is yours. Move through us, move in us, and move in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Hope you come out tonight, and uh, God bless you as you move into your Sunday school times.